This podcast is brought to you by Carlos Danger. Vote Carlos Danger for mayor and get a free photo of his penis. Carlos Danger. It never gets old. Good morning and welcome to Breakfast with the Beak. I am your host, Johnny Goodtimes. Joining me is my sidekick. Hey, I'm Dr. Eisenberg. Good morning, Johnny. Good morning, Big Nicks. Good morning. Carlos Danger. Carlos Danger. Uh, oh my god. I don't want to keep thinking about this, but I don't either keeps because happening. I know in my heart of hearts uh-huh. that I'm fucking sick of this. Mm-hmm. It's not funny anymore. Ha ha. He was called Carlos Danger. It happened in the middle of the week. It just it wasn't for us. You know? It was it was so funny the day it happened. But exactly. it's been a few days now. Exactly. If it doesn't happen on a Friday, a Saturday, it, we're just going to miss it as far as, you know, the show schedule is concerned. Right. And that's just a sacrifice we have to make. But at the same time, mm-hmm. I feel like because it became the thing everyone talked about on Twitter for one afternoon. Right. It overshadows the fact yeah. that it's a great name. It, it is. And uh, I feel like, okay, it's getting a little old now. I feel like that's gonna come come with us in time. Like like two, three, ten years from now, you're just like hanging out, joking around, and you bust out with a Carlos Danger reference that's no one's thought of recently. Yeah, boom, hilarious. I mean, in 1998, uh-huh. Jay Leno owned the world of Monica Lewinsky jokes. Right. But nowadays, certain aspects of that story have stayed with us. Sure. You know, if you get some spooge on the front of your dress, mm-hmm. that's the that's the go-to reference. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, you Lewinsky'd it, you know? Right. And, uh, or whatever. I mean, they, I wouldn't say that, but you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I, I can see where it would go. But and I potentially, I, I think this has the potential yeah. to become something like that. Like, in ten years... Uh-huh. We're going to be watching whatever show is the equivalent of Archer 10 years from now. Okay. And the character who is the equivalent of Sterling Archer... Right. ...is going to make this offhand, never-explained reference to, oh, yeah, well, I wasn't expecting you to pull a Carlos Danger or something like that. Yeah, and if you remember this week... Yeah. ...that's going to be the funniest thing you've heard. Exactly. And you're going to have to explain that to your friends who have forgotten or who were too young to care the first time. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like reading Bloom County comics decades later and, you know... Seeing which jokes you still get. <laughs> They're really sticking into that Casper Weinberger this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, look out, Ed Meese. They're coming for you. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, let's roll a topic. Sure. And... God knows what they're asking us to talk about this week. It's been a rough couple of weeks, topic-wise. Uh, well, you know, it's July, it's hot, uh, everyone gets a little crazy. Yeah, it's July, and screw you guys for sending in some of these. <laughs> 22, okay. All right, what's topic 22, Johnny? Oh, for fuck's sake. Okay. <laughs> okay. The weird conflict between the inherent optimism and the yawning, crushing existential despair at the center of American culture. What? Submitted by friend of the show, Nick. It's happening. Uh, thank you, Nick. Alright. We're gonna... uh, We're gonna need to look at that again? Look at that again. The weird conflict between the inherent optimism 
and the yawning, crushing, existential, empty despair at the center of American culture. Yes. Wow. Um, I mean, that's a topic, technically. It, it that's, is. It's a thing that can be talked about. It's now, the topic. It's yeah. The last topic. The only topic. I mean, I think that's what that's what makes this show unique. Is uh, we're not we're not just talking about a movie. No. It's not all Skyline and no. Oogie Loves. Oh, for fuck's sake with the Skyline. <laughs> Oogie Loves was a masterpiece. Uh, the show, not the movie. <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. Our episode about the Oogie Loves was a fucking masterpiece. Years from now, people are going to... Ken Vizelman has like a little radar dish, and he's going to take that clip that Oogie Loves was a masterpiece, and he's going to isolate it, and he's going to use it as a quote for Oogie Loves 2. See, I honestly hope. Yeah. That Ken Vizelman, being the egomaniac that he is, yeah. sought out every review, no matter how minor of his movie he could find. Including ours. And has heard that episode of oh, our show. Oh, oh, I pray every night. Please. And that right there is part of that yawning chasm of despair. Because on one hand, hey, why are we doing this show? Maybe so someone will hear it. Maybe so someone will like the show enough to let us do this for real, and get a real microphone, and not just yell at a laptop. You maybe, know? maybe merely a, a narcissistic howling into the void. Exactly, <laughs> because on the other hand, you know, oh, what's the best we can hope for? A lunatic listens to one episode just because he he's keeping an enemies list. <laughs> <laughs> there are certain enemy lists I would be proud to be a part of. His is definitely one of them. <laughs> I, I, I not to harp too much on our old stuff, but I feel like. <laughs> If you want to know about existential despair versus unyielding optimism, I think you should watch the Oogie Loves movie and listen to episode 104 of this show, because that movie will teach you a lot about both despair and baffling optimism. Baffling, yes. (laughs) No, I mean, that's the thing. This is a country where we, because, you know, it said specific to American culture. Right. So, fuck it. You know, hey, everyone in Canada, welcome to anthropology class. (laughs) Because this is a country where we come up with friendly clown mascots mm-hmm. for, you know, deadly death burgers. Okay, yeah. And then create campaigns, both advertising campaigns and general branding campaigns behind them. Uh-huh. To give it the illusion that this is a character who came from an artist's labor of love. Like, you know, like any beloved cartoon character. Right. Or any beloved literary character, like, they try to, you know, put him on par with that. And they try to convince you that not only do you like this character, but that Ronald loves you back. That's a good point. I mean, you can learn a lot from just the milieu around Ronald McDonald, right? Alright, alright, all right. optimism, okay? We'll get up. Maybe we'll go get a burger and we'll feel okay. It'll be an okay day. That's optimism. Ronald McDonald, his, his thesis is every day in McDonald land, you get up and maybe today will be an okay day. Yeah. All right? Maybe Grimace will be out doing shit. Yeah. You know, we're going to catch that Hamburglar, you know. It, he can only terrorize us for so long. We're not afraid. You know, we are not backing down in the face of those threats. But but at the same time, Ronald McDonald is a grown man who is dressed up as a ridiculous clown shilling, nasty-ass, foul-tasting hamburger. Exactly. I mean, if that doesn't inspire despair in a man's soul, I don't know what does. Hell, the hamburger himself. He's a dirty criminal, okay, who doesn't even steal money. 
Okay, he's not Robin Hood. He's not stealing hamburgers and giving it to starving children. He steals hamburgers. He doesn't even steal good hamburgers. Does he even eat them, or does he just have them? Does he just want to fill up that bag? I feel like he has bags that he lets rot like somebody on hoarders. Yeah. Okay, and they're just stacked up in his house. Mm-hmm. Okay, and 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 the hamburglar leaves the house every morning going, well, I'm going to steal hamburgers. Today might be a good day because I'll get to steal some hamburgers. But at the same time, that's no life. No. No. No, I mean, and, and exactly. I mean, you know, cartoon characters, yeah. real ones, you know. Right. <laughs> do exist in that sort of stasis, you know. Uh-huh. The coyote will never catch the roadrunner. Crazy Cat is always going to get hit with another damn brick. Sure. And and it doesn't need to be real. Yeah. But then they take that sort of, you know, myth-making mm-hmm. and apply it to this odd little, you know, man in a bandit mask whose sole purpose is to convince children to eat shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it is. It's that there's... there's I, I feel like despair it, it lives on the other side of hope, like at all times. Oh, absolutely. Like you can be hopeful about having moments of happiness in a thing that could just as easily just make you spiral downward. I mean, not to go back to, you know, our uh, uh, old material again, mm-hmm. but I touched on to great length in the Republican Hipsters episode right. about the attempts of churches to be more hip, you know, to be more relevant. Right. And I don't know if you've ever read or, God help you, watched fiction or, you know, little in-house movies that come out of the Mormon universe. (laughs) I didn't even know they made stuff. Oh, my God. (laughs) Talk about yawning chasms of despair. I mean, it's always this incredibly heightened, incredibly melodramatic uh, morality play. Okay. Where, like, oh, a little boy... Uh, disrespects his parents, mm-hmm. and then they're both horribly killed in a car accident what? on the way home after buying him a new bike to say they forgive him. Wow. Yeah, and the bike gets destroyed too. Oh. <laughs> so. <laughs> now, I, I, I have seen reenactments of, of medieval and Elizabethan morality plays. Yeah. Where you, you know, your troops go around and teach you, teach, you know, villages about the devil. Yeah. Right? But those were always like seven deadly sin type stuff. Yeah, those got weird and gross. Yeah, and they also got sort of, uh, Dante-esque. Yeah. Yeah. No, this was, this is just all about, like, that's pretty much the archetype. That's like the, that's like the first story. That's like, if you were to, if you were the Joseph Campbell of Mormons. Right. It would be, little boy disrespects his parents, parents die horribly. These are like bigger consequences for lower stakes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, 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 I snuck a cookie, uh, uh, before dinner. And now, uh, Jesus is going to murder you kind of stuff. Yeah, it's like, I stole a cookie, mommy got eaten by a bear. Because yeah. <laughs> that's what a cookie is to a bear. The bear was also disobedient. Aren't you better than a bear? <laughs> and like this is just shown to children. Yeah. Like hey, and like you know, and 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 parents watching with them, and they're like, oh my god, so inspiring. That's the thing. I, I I'm sure I would watch these things and just go, wait, what's yeah. going on? It, You'd laugh your ass off, probably. Yeah. Well, it's it's not even. 
it's uh, adding a layer of cause and effect that does not exist. Yeah. Okay? If you're disrespectful to your parents, there's a real-world consequence there, which is your parents might think less of you, you know, as a child. Yeah. Maybe you're immature and not ready to ride your bike down the street by yourself yet. Yeah. That's a real-world consequence. God's not going to put them in a car crash. No. As a consequence. They may wreck their car anyway. If anything, that's, at best, that's cargo cult mentality. Well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it, the, the cause and effect is always very much implicit, you know? Right. It's never said, oh, they got in a car crash because you were disrespectful. It's more like, oh, you never know when mommy and daddy are gonna get killed, but it's definitely gonna happen, so be good. And there's, <laughs> Almost, okay? And I'm sure they missed the point, but there's almost a real lesson in that, right? Yeah. If you're a dick to someone and they die unexpectedly, you're going to hate yourself for a little while because the last experience that person had with you before they were dead forever was you being a dick to them. So you'd be like, man, I am such a dick, and now I never have the chance to apologize. Yeah. That's a real world lesson. It Maybe is. don't be a dick all the time. Because the person you're a dick to might die. Well, yeah, that is a decent lesson. Yeah. But again, this isn't really about that. This is more about obedience. and Right, right, right. Which know, completely misses the point of what could be a real-world lesson. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's more like, it, yeah, it, the, the ultimate message is be good or someone will kill your parents. Yeah, <laughs> see, I feel like, no. And that's the thing, you know, Ronald McDonald, mm-hmm. corporate mascot mythologized <laughs> to the point where people are... Like, where little kids are happy to see him at their birthday party. You know? Sure, there was a McDonaldland video game. There absolutely was, man. Mm-hmm. Ronald was the benevolent fucking Obi-Wan figure in that game. Yeah. He is like the Jesus Christ of McDonaldland. Yeah. That's all well and good. Right. But, again, you know, created by a corporate marketing team to get children to eat shit. <laughs> yes. And uh, and then you've got, you know, your your cartoon characters and your fictional characters and your TV characters and stuff who were, of course, created with slightly nobler intentions. Um, okay. In that they were created by writers who thought, oh, this is something interesting I can do. Oh, you mean, you mean actual storytelling? Actual storytelling, yeah. Sure, yes. Yeah, not advertising. Right. But even those, you know, why, why are these the ones we get to know about? Well, they were the ones that somebody deemed profitable. Well, yeah. You know, and so... At a certain point, you've got, like, you know, adults Uh just desperately attached to, you know, fandoms of things. Right. You know, be they comics, movies, TV shows, music, whatever. Yeah. Wherein it's not just I'm interested to see where this story goes Uh or I like the style of this writer or that actor or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's, to me, this character is real, this character is a friend. And it, it, it loses that level of detachment that should occur naturally when something isn't actually happening to you. Well, right. I mean, if you read a novel, okay? Let's let's go with the novel that a lot of people have read. If you read Hemingway's Old Man in the Sea. Yeah. Okay? As, a, as getting swept up in a narrative... Of yeah. this guy's struggle with a fish out in the ocean. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Man of that's, the sea. That's a compelling narrative. A man of the sea. Absolutely. And and you're you're watching kind of the poetry of language. 
You're envisioning what that experience would be like. You're relating to the character as depicted by Hemingway in some vein, yeah. right? And then, then the story ends, but you, you, you know, you pull back and you think, well, that that's not a real person. Yeah, this is just a a, a what if scenario. This yeah. is a, an interesting thought exercise. This is what this is. This is a, a, a master of the craft writing down what it would be like to be in that situation. Exactly. But you're not it's not the same thing as reading a biography of someone who actually almost died at sea. And there are plenty of those. Yeah, or like that guy that uh, you know, got stuck under a boulder and had to cut his arm off. And That's a real guy telling his real story. Yeah. And neither of those experiences are equivalent to actually being out at sea and having no. a bad time. No, not at all. No. Not at all. You're still not living that. But then, like, let's say you go, like, the other way to, like, a real fandom. Like, let's say you're really into Spider-Man. Spider-Man movies, Spider-Man comics, Spider-Man cartoons. All right. You, you, and, and there's, there's a, a, a pleasure principle there, right? You, uh, uh, get swept up in adventure. It's an escape. It's fun. You like to see the experiences of Peter Parker being Spider-Man saving the day. Yes. You know, that's fun. You get swept up in it. He wins. You feel good for a few minutes. It's entertainment. I mean, that's what entertainment is. Yeah. It's it's a fun thing that makes you happy. Nothing wrong with that. Exactly. But then you've got people who are like, well, this is all well and good. This is a good story. But I feel like they could have spent more time... With Peter Parker and Mary Jane just hardcore raw-dogging it, you know? And, and it's like, well, look, that's lovely that you want to see that. They're very attractive people. We all like to masturbate. Sure. But, you know, it, it's never going to happen. I mean, not officially, just because they're writing for a certain audience that includes children. You have to acknowledge that. <laughs> well, but at the same time, I mean, there's there are different levels of not going to happen. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. I mean, you're never going to see Tobey Maguire, yeah. Raw Dog, and uh, what's her face? Kirsten Dunst, maybe? Kirsten Dunst, yeah. They're not going to do that in front of a camera for you. No, they are not. Those two... Professional actors yeah. are not going to make a porno, right. not on purpose. Right, but if it hasn't happened already, and it has, yeah. you could hire pornographic actors to put on costumes and fuck, and you can pretend, because, the, the, here's the thing, the, the porn stars pretending to be Peter Parker and Mary Jane are no more really Peter Parker and Mary Jane than Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst are. Or anybody else, because they're drawings. Well, exactly. <laughs> so, like, if you want to see Tobey Maguire fucking, that's a whole separate thing from wanting to see Spider-Man fucking. But, like, the levels of investment people have in fake shit. Right. Like, that is, to me, uh, the, one of the, the great... One of several beating hearts of despair in America. I mean... Like, That's fair. Like, uh, when Andrew Garfield, who is the guy playing Spider-Man in the movies now... Yeah, see, I wouldn't even have known that. The fact that I have to say that tells you how good that movie was. Yeah. I hear Andrew Garfield, and I think, wait, was that the name of the president? No, it was James Garfield. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the point is, James Garfield was like, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be kooky if maybe Spider-Man was into dudes in the next movie? Uh-huh. And the Spider-Man fucking nerds were all like, oh no, he can't be into dudes because Spider-Man is everyone and we're not gay and blah blah, you know. Right. And it's a bunch of bullshit. And like the closest thing they had to a defense uh -huh. was, well, that's not canon with the comics. 
Yeah. And it's like, yeah, they update the, the backstory of the character periodically, but, again, it's never been that. Right. So, yeah, they were ridiculous and sad. But at the same time, gay Spider-Man? Uh-huh. Really only interesting for about five minutes. And it's an interesting thought experiment. That's all it is. It's like, yeah. hey, why do supervillains keep kidnapping the same uh, handsome dude that Spider-Man has to rescue again and again? Huh, it's kind of weird when it happens to a guy. Wow, I learned something, Don. Yeah, I mean, the, the gender swap... Is, yeah. a, is an interesting thing to think about. Like the uh, somebody, I forget who, made uh, a gender swap version of the Blurred Lines music video. Yeah. Where women were wearing suits and singing, and there were naked men prancing around. They were prancing their asses off. And that's an interesting thought. It's yeah. like, all right, you know, you see kind of the dichotomy of gender roles and, and how one is perceived in culture and how the other one is and perceived. And they weren't trying to be silly. They were trying to be... Fucking pretty. Right. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's a cool thing to think about. You don't have to take Spider-Man any more seriously than that, though. No. Like, it's if like, you want a proper depiction of the story in film context... Yeah. Well, the the story as it exists, you know, Peter Parker is Spider-Man and he falls in love with Mary Jane, like, there's already a movie of that. Yeah. Like, it's done. Yeah, it's happened. Yeah. Several times. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. You don't need to keep doing the exact same thing. It's done. Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's already happened. Two of those movies were pretty good. It's as real as it's going to get. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, making another movie where Spider-Man is gay doesn't ruin anything. No, it's already... It, exactly. It's, hey, the movie won't be good. <laughs> yeah. We already know the movie won't be good. Right. So... I mean, I get it. I, I mean, I, it's somewhat culturally despairing to me that people freak out about this as much as they do. Yeah. I turned my back on the Spider-Man fandom the day they turned their back on Donald Glover. Absolutely. Because why couldn't Peter Parker be black? That's a I, great idea. Donald Glover is a fantastic yeah. actor. Yeah, it's like, oh, Peter Parker's from Queens. No part of this doesn't check out. Yeah, no. That's, yeah. yeah, that totally works. And and unlike the gay thing, you don't even have to change any element of the original story. No. So the the fact of like that's just racism. There's no reason to be mad. Yeah. You don't have to change anything about the story. Yeah, I mean, in terms of you know how the studio executives actually cast it, mm-hmm. I think it's less racism and more just being fucking. Cowards trying to wring the most money possible out of the most insecure and gullible demographic. There's a difference between casting and fandom reaction. Fandom. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. the fandom reaction was just like, no. No, no, casting yeah. isn't racist because casting is entirely money based. Yeah. They will cast whoever they think will bring in profit. Yeah, it's like, yeah, that's... Who, who, how do we exploit the audience the most effectively? Uh, yeah, precisely. But but it is exploiting racist fans. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because they're they're gullible. Now they've already been talked into racism. You know, it's like you can talk them into seeing a movie. (laughs) That's 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 a good point. It's kind of easy at that point. Yeah. There is now an interesting another interesting parallel of of despair and hope is. At some level, and I don't know if it's investors or studio execs or who is being hopeful. Yeah. But it, 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 uh, 
all these like the huge big blockbuster movies that keep bombing. Yeah, like R.I.P.D. Mm-hmm. Uh, was the latest uh, big flop, and uh, Lone Ranger. And Lone Ranger was a colossal flop. Yeah, we already made fun of that one in the Dead Bird, but you know. Yeah, but these these billion dollar things. Someone is hoping we invest these hundreds of millions of dollars, and we hope we'll make. Several times hundreds of millions of dollars. Yes. Now, that's a, at some level, that's just a cost benefit analysis. Yeah. We are taking a business risk that this will pay off. But there's, there's a level of hope in, even in a cost benefit analysis. We, we hope that this will go the way we think it did. Like, Pirates of the Caribbean made shit tons of money over budget. So we hope another ridiculous scenario with this actor will pay off in the same way. And the same director. Yeah. 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 And no, okay, it's not... We weren't going to Pirates of the Caribbean because Johnny Depp had a lot of shit on his head. (laughs) Okay, it wasn't like, oh boy, I love head decorations. That wasn't what was bringing in the crowds. Yeah. And I love them on this man. I don't buy movie tickets based on hats. No. <laughs> nor nor should you. Even if it was a mo- unless it's a movie all about hats. Yeah. If they made Lidsville the movie. Yeah, no, I I'd, I'd smoke a huge joint and go to that. <laughs> you yeah, yeah, that's well, fair. Well, no, I'd smoke a huge joint and download it, but <laughs> well, you know, some people would would pay the money. But but hell, to go back to the Yu-Gi-Oh, to go back to bad movies. Okay. What is more indicative of the yawning despair and the inherent optimism at the heart of American culture uh-huh. than The Room? Okay. A man from a far-off land. Oh. The far-off land of never fully disclosed. <laughs> Tommy Wiseau is a man of mystery. He is. Yeah. And he comes to this country to make his fortune, to live the American dream. And after making a fortune in mysterious, unknown ways, yes. decides to become an actor uh-huh. and a director and a writer and other stuff, too, probably. If Tommy Wiseau called himself Carlos Danger, everyone would believe it. Yeah. Yeah. And he makes this movie that is clearly uh, a melodramatization it is. of something that happened to him. Yeah, Except, yeah. you know, changed so that he's the good guy. Right, right. A woman who I'm sure he was horrible to, but in the film, yeah. done him wrong. Done him wrong for no reason except she was bored. Yeah. And he makes this infantile script. Oh, it's, yes. That, that, that reads like it was run through Google Translate. I wrote better in the fourth grade. Doesn't let the actors correct the badly translated script, runs the set like a fucking tyrant, you know, takes years to get this thing done as he goes through turnover of the entire crew several times. Sure. But by God, he's going to tell his story. A story in the tradition of great Americans like Tennessee Williams. This was his dream. And a story which, by the way, ends in despair. Ends in despair. But this was to be his magnum opus. Yes. This, he thought... People would recognize it for the work of genius it is. It would become part of the canon. It would be in the National Fucking Film Registry. Shocking levels of unrelenting optimism. It would be up there with Citizen Kane. Oh, yeah. And uh, that is obviously not what happened. Right. But what emerged was a fascinating artifact of... Of of this man on this doomed quest, this this modern Don Quixote, okay, <laughs> <laughs> tilting at a chubby windmill in a red dress. 
That's harsh. <laughs> and <laughs> it was out there for all of us to see, and now we all have. Yeah, weirdly enough, we all saw it. So and it it became this artifact, and and he will live forever now. <laughs> okay? Yeah, yeah. The 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 up and down of 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 hope and despair. You know, you could get you could despair in the process of this. You know, just by looking at the script. But his moment of despair in life, which becomes hopeful when he's going to make this film. Yeah. The despair when it bombs. And then I assume the hopefulness when it becomes a whole new kind of success. People hold festivals. They throw the football with him. Exactly. But they're drawn because they want to see how close to this void they can get. Oh, yeah. You know, that's that's something I've been saying for a while, and I don't know if I've said it on the show, but, like, the goal of a lot of artists and a lot of just creative people in general is how close can I get to the void without being annihilated right. and then come back and tell a joke about it. And th- in a way, that's hope. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's hope that you will be able to make something funny and fun out of this just clusterfuck. It's, I feel like the juxtaposition really is uh, what makes uh, American pop culture a thing at all. It's, I mean, right now, especially with, you know... Anderson Cooper on the national news network giggling about YouTube videos of fucking Prancer Size. Right. What is Prancer Size but another window into the abyss? Absolutely. Okay, this woman who had a dream yeah. that looked at objectively is incredibly stupid. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but that the world was able to fall in love with for the wrong reasons. Yeah, and have a fun time. Yeah. For a few minutes if you don't get too close. <laughs> When somebody designed the horse mask, Uh they did it because they truly believed in their heart that there was somebody out there in the world who just needed a more realistic horse mask. Perhaps that person (laughs) became a mask designer Uh because they felt that the masks available in their childhood didn't truly represent the raging animal spirit they had within themselves. Uh Okay, And now everybody's got a fucking horse mask. And they're just running around doing weird shit in them. <laughs> That's true. We almost bought a horse mask to specifically to do weird shit in before we noticed how many people it had them. It was right before they got huge, and we decided not to. Yeah, we, we decided back. not to. We were like, we're too late. It would it. it would have been accidentally jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it we would have we would have placed the order in yeah. time. Right. But then when by the time Amazon shipped it on the shipping options that we can afford. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's like we were too late and too broke to be on that bandwagon and whatever. And nobody know? wants to end up in the montage segment of Tosh.0. No. No, 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 no. Whoa, no. look at everybody doing horse videos. Here's Let's... the correct way to laugh at this. Ugh. Ugh. Well, Daniel Tosh is a show about hope and despair, but not, I mean not his show. But if we did a show about him, it would be a lot about hope and despair and mostly fucking despair because he has this show where it's like telling people the correct way to laugh at YouTube videos. Uh, uh, you know, it's... I mean, there's... You could do a showcase. I mean, it's not that different from Bob Saget's old show about home videos. But, but the difference is... Uh-huh. Bob Saget had... I wouldn't call it a respect for the people in those videos. That might be too much. But uh, a patience with them. The sort of patience that, that was best exemplified, I think, by Jerry Springer in his prime. 
where no matter how absurd the conflict on his stage was, uh-huh. he would keep his cool and ask the questions of the people as if everyone involved had dignity. That's fair. There's also a more personal connection on America's Funniest Home Video. Yeah. I mean, because, uh, at least at first, those videos were not intentional attempts at humor. Yeah. They were just shit that happened, and then you take the VHS tape and you mail it in. In In an envelope with bubble wrap on the inside. Yeah. YouTube, you just put your shit on YouTube and hope someone will notice. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've done that on this show. And then, you know, a bunch of interns just cull, you know, 20 minutes of random crap and put it up on Tasha's show. There's no... No one's accidentally having a moment of brilliance and mailing it in. But more than that... Okay. What is seen on on Daniel Tasha's program... Okay. ...is a man being handed a a first-class ticket to the abyss... Right. ...and continually backing away and going, Whoa, hey, I don't know what's going on there... Something weird. No homo. That's true. It never. It has the potential to get thoughtful, and it never does. Yeah, it's like he's he's given this this window into these bizarre scenarios and this weird these weird little glimpses of people's lives. Yeah, and he's just backing away, like whoa, looks like somebody's got issues. If you did, if you had the premise of that show, right, mm-hmm. and instead of doing what he does, you took a single video and every episode was a half-hour deconstruction, that could be brilliant. It absolutely could be brilliant. And that's not what's happening. No. No. Or, I mean, or here, while we're on Comedy Central? Yeah. Okay? Uh, uh, 90% of new shows on Comedy Central yeah. are those those spotlight shows where they'll get a stand-up comic and they'll give them their own show. And that's always... that That could be considered the peak. Of, like, someone who, like, gets into stand-up comedy, they do open mics for years, they start to build up a reputation, they do podcast interviews, eventually they get their own show on Comedy Central. Yeah. And invariably, all they can think to give them to do is a terrible sketch show that always flops. Yeah, it's like, hey... Do you have a funny gay guy character? How about a horny old lady character? Both? You're hired. Yeah, it goes hope, 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 despair. Yeah. Ugh. It's like, it's okay to give funny people shows. Think of another thing to do with the show. Let them write a script. Let them write original content. Yeah. Not everything has to be a terrible failed sketch show. No, but most things are. Just because Dave Chappelle did it right once... Yeah. ...doesn't mean everyone is going to be successful doing the exact same formula. They uh, certainly haven't been. Yeah. Hell, you know, you want a gay superhero... Yeah. Come up with a new superhero. Absolutely. Because it's like, that. that's, that's it's the same thing. We don't want to take a chance on the new thing. It's, we want, we want something safe, but we want to be a little progressive or a little transgressive or whatever. So we're going to take something we already know has a built-in audience mm-hmm. and tweak it. Yeah. It's like, that's great. But again, it's interesting for five minutes. And then Gay Spider-Man rides off into the sunset with Communist Superman... And that's the end. Yeah, we don't, you know... Like, all well and good. Fine. But, but yeah, it's like... At the end of the day, who cares? It's like, wow, okay, you you, you gave a superhero, you know, a, a new token minority status for five issues right. before the fans revolted. Great job. <laughs> then you got a new writer and it never happened. Uh, yeah, well, we don't even have time to get into cannons here. All right, well, I, I, 
There you go. I think we learned a lot. I think that, about something. I think yeah, that wraps up some things. Up, yeah. yeah, sure. You know. Yeah. Right? No. I mean, it's like on one hand, yeah, I'm feeling kind of hopeful, but on the other hand, no, I'm not. Yeah, there's so. a dichotomy. I mean, you can learn a lot from going, you know, looking in the dark, and it's a whole thing. Yeah. So. No. Don't be afraid of the dark. Damn it. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you can be hopeful while staring into despair. You know, don't be afraid. Of, of looking at the sadness, but then pull yourself out of it. That's the best kind of hope, okay? Yeah. Anyone can write a good poem about being sad. Right. But you gotta, if you can be sad and write a good poem about something else. Yeah. Fucking cheers to you. You can have, you can have dumb, ignorant happy, and that's fine. That's like what a dog is. Yeah. Or you can have happiness knowing the darkness that exists under everything and feel okay anyway. You can have happiness that you had to hack out with a machete to get at, okay? Yeah. You can have happiness you fucking fought for. Yeah, that's real mature joy. Damn is, it. Is when you, when you steal joy and happiness and contentment out of the jaws of the dark, despairing, endless void of the universe. That's what I'm going to go do right now. That's what victory is, everybody. Yeah. That's your fucking lesson for the day. Yeah. Go out there and fucking, fucking, uh, 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 kill your gods and take back what's yours. Yes. All right. Find a chicken that's smarter than the other chickens and eat it to gain its knowledge. Yeah. Go out there and win breakfast, everybody. God damn it. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Woo. Okay. Okay, bye. Bye. This has been a production of the Beak Podcasting Network. Visit thebeak.org to learn more about this and other quality podcasts. Seriously, guys, so awesome.